We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Kings chapter 4. How many of you would consider yourself a disorganized person? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> you know, and I think by nature, uh, some of us are more organized uh, by nature. A lot of us are just, you know, we're like myself. I would say I'm OCD. I'm, you know, I really want things lined up. So that can be work against you because you want things so organized that you, you're a perfectionist and sometimes you just don't even do anything because you know you're not going to hit that, that perfect bullseye. But of course you've got to go against the grain of who you are. Um, a lot of times we're disorganized because we're too busy. We're just too busy in life. And so remember this principle. Picture your life like a plate. Okay, It's a plate. It's got all this food on it. Okay, you can't put more food on it until you take something off, right? You guys have heard that old saying, you got too much on your plate. It's true in life. It really is. And one person said that knowledge is science organized and wisdom is life organized. And that was an interesting statement. Of course, it would have to be organized by God, right? But so, so organization is an important thing. Tell you what, start with your pots and pans. Okay, just kind of organize them a little bit. You know, are you the type that you're, you can't, oh man, they all fall out? No, you know, start with there and then just start working through your life, you know, your days, your schedule, your prayers, everything. Of course you want to do it for the glory of God uh, before it's too late. And we're going to see that's part of our lesson tonight, that Solomon, he begins to organize things. He's a good example in that as far as government goes and as far as building the temple goes, two really important things. And yet at the same time, you know, you've got to maintain that intimate and personal relationship with God. And that's where Solomon, unfortunately, didn't do too well. And so we learn from his life. We learn, I think, things to do. And then I think we learn the underlying lessons of things not to do. You know, you guys probably know who Will Smith is, right? He said, I don't believe in organized religion. That was his statement, right? Well, I, I, I don't really believe in religion. I believe in a relationship with God. But I do pray for Will Smith that he would be willing to learn an important lesson before he dies, and that God is very organized. God is very organized. He's organized the way that we go to heaven. He's instructed that. He's organized a way that we can grow as Christians. And we're going to see here that Solomon has what's called, I guess you could say, an organized religion. Um, and it's a lesson for us. It's really good. We're going to see working with the government, working uh, for the church. He does good. It's a good work. And yet, we're going to see again, and this is going to happen all the way through Solomon's life as we study it, that he did a lot of good, but, you know, there in the background, or, or maybe it's in the forefront, um, while he's doing all this good, it, we, we just can't help but think, here's a man who started so well, 
And he was given so much. And how was he able to squander it all away? How was he able to fall away from God? You know, one guy, Alexander White, he said this. He said, regarding the life of Solomon, that the secret worm was gnawing all the time in the royal staff upon which Solomon leaned. You don't see it, but, you know, eventually when the relationship with God is not right, eventually, you know, you're going to pay the price. And so, God loves you. God loves you. God doesn't want works without relationship. I mean, rules and regulations are necessary, but not without relationship. And so let's remember that. Let's learn these lessons. Look what we read here in verse 1. It says, So King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, Eliharif, and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, scribes, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers, Zabed, the son of Nathan, a priest, and the king's friend, Abishar, over the household, and Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. Here we see Solomon's uh, cabinet mentioned. Uh, we see administration. We see organization. We see delegation. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said, even though Solomon had great wisdom and authority, he couldn't handle the affairs of the kingdom alone, right? And we should know that. And so a good leader chooses capable associates and allows them to use their own gifts and thereby serve the Lord and the people. One guy said this, the wise way he selected, trained, empowered, and supervised leaders is an example of his wisdom. Solomon was a leader of leaders. No wise leader does it all themselves, right? They know how to delegate responsibility and authority and get the job done. So Solomon's great wisdom enabled him to see the needs to get, train, and employ the right people to meet those needs. And, you know, that works in life. It works in your business. It works in the church. And I always think of that. What are the needs of the people? And so, Lord, how can we meet those genuine needs? And the Lord just is so cool. He brings people. I love the way it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some, he gave men as gifts to the church. A lot of times we think, well, it's just gifts that have been given to men. But no, men and women, their gifts as well. You know, here you have this list of all these guys with names that are hard to pronounce. But um, isn't it cool what you read right there? Look at, look at Nathan. It says, uh, Zabed, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend. That's cool, huh? Out of all the lists, oh, he oversees my, you know, he's priest and he's over the army and he's the recorder of all the things that are going on. And, and then this guy right here, not only does he have that position, but he's also the king's friend. And you know, when I was looking at all these guys right here, I was thinking to myself, this guy is probably the most valuable person on Solomon's cabinet, right? I mean, you know, I remember sitting down, and I've talked to guys, you know, before, and 
you know, they, they're guys that I, that I feel comfortable with. Because you don't feel comfortable with everybody, right? And I, I just felt comfortable with this guy. And he's like, well, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And, and, uh, and, um, and I just said, you know what? You know, you're my friend. And I tell you what, that's probably more important than whatever that title, you know, you think that you need to have. And not just for me, but, but I, I think for you too. You know, we need help. We need, you know, if you're a ministry overseer, you need to delegate. If you try to do everything yourself, okay, you're going to limit what God wants to do. God can only do so much through one person. But what if you begin to train up other people and you begin to pray for other people and you begin to love other people that they would be raised up as leaders? Now God can, can kind of do more, meet more needs. And so anyways, that's where, where Solomon was. You know, having this friend was good for him personally, and having this friend was good for the people nationally. One thing I learned about friendship is that you can't make it happen. It's got to be the Lord. The Lord, he brings people together. I do think it's good to be friendly, to try to be a friend, and, uh, and just pray that, you know, God works it out, that you choose your friends carefully. We need friends. We really do. And so, um, you know, sometimes people don't know how to be a friend. And we know how to be acquaintances. So we know how to say, hey, hi, how are you? How are you doing today? Good. But we just can't pass a certain barrier into true and genuine friendship. And I tell you what, without that, we suffer. Okay? So be a friend and pray that God will bring friends into your life. And, you know, we need this whole administration, organization, and delegation mentality because this is going to be good for the government. Because look at verse 7. It says, And Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. And these are their names. Ben-Hur. Have you guys seen that movie? In the mountains of Ephraim. Ben-Deker in Mekaz, Shalbim, Beth-Shemesh, and Elon. Beth Hanan ben Hesed in Arubath, to him belong Soko and all the land of Hefer. You know, and as we go through these things right here, I, I'm sorry if I pronounced them wrong. I probably shouldn't even read them, huh? Ben Abinadab in all the regions of Dor, and he had Taphath, the daughter of Solomon, his wife. Uh, Beanna, the son of Ahilud in Tanakh, Megiddo, and all Beth Sheen and which is beside Zeratan below Ze Jezreel from Beth Shean to Abel, Mehola, as far as the other side of Jachneum, uh, Ben Geber in Ramoth, Gilead. To him belong the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh in Gilead. To him also belong the region of Argob in Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. And you know, just real quick, sometimes you hear people teach and they say, I'm not going to read that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I feel like I need to read everything because, you know, I feel like if I don't, I say, well, skip that chapter. Who knows? Maybe there was a little nugget in there that I skipped. So if I'm going to share, like I taught you the whole Bible or whatever, I went through the whole Bible, I feel like I need to read the whole thing. That's why I stumbled through these words, okay, just in case you're wondering, okay? And 14, uh, Ahinadab, the son of Ido in Mahanaim, 
Ahimaaz and Naphtali. He also took uh, Basamath, the daughter of Solomon, as wife. So there's a second daughter of Solomon married off to one of his governors. Baana, the son of Hushai, and Asher, and Eloth, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Peruah, and Issachar. Shimei, the son of Elah, and Benjamin. And Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. Remember, that was on the east side of the Jordan. He was the only governor who was in, in that land, okay? And so you have the 12 governors. Now, something that's interesting is when you look at David's cabinet, there were a couple of guys that had kind of transferred over from the old administration, um, but then there were new faces, here, part of the reason I think that it's described the way it is is because it wasn't the way they had usually done it. Do you remember in the past how they divided up Israel into the 12 tribes? Okay, they didn't do that here. Solomon did something new. And when you really study the geography and the topography of this, you find that he separated according to mountains, according to uh, um, uh, places where you couldn't cross over. He separated it into um, probably men that he, that he felt comfortable with in certain regions. And so, kind of cool that, you know, the seven last words of a dying church are, we never did it that way before. Okay, so, you know, sometimes people, they like r routines, and they're like, well, you know, we did it that way last year, you know, and, and you know, it's been that way it's got to stay, you know? My son, he gets uh, kind of freaked out when we move the furniture around, you know? But I was, uh, I even moved uh, the, the, the thing in the, in the janitor's room. I moved the, uh, the, the shelving. And he's all, Dad, Dad, why'd you do that? He's kind of like started sweating, right? <laughs> and I just told him, I don't know. I just, I like to move the furniture around. I don't even know if it's the best place to put it, but it's different. I feel clean. I don't know, you know. And so every once in a while, you know, you don't have to do it the same way. You shuffle things around. As the Lord leads you, you're open to that. That's all. I think one of the lessons we're going to see in our study tonight is that God does a movement, but a lot of times that movement becomes a machine. You're just going through the motions now. That's the way we've always done it. And then if that's the mentality, then it becomes a monument. It dies. It always has to be fresh. It's always got to be the Lord leading us into these areas of administration, organization, delegation, and leading the people. Now here we have, again, 12 governors. Um, and they're working together to lead the nation. You know, Vince Lombardi, that great Green Bay Packer coach, he said, the achievements of an organization are the results of the combined efforts of each individual. And that's true. It's not just one guy. It's got to be people who have that heart and they have that vision. These men right here were responsible for taxation in their districts. And the districts were not strictly regulated by tribal borders, but often according to mountains and lands and regions. And so what we find right here is that Solomon's leadership was open to God's leading. He was creative. He was willing to try new things. Later, however, it's interesting. So you got, like, we're going to see, you know, as they go through here, that they're going to, you know, receive the taxes from all the people, the food from all the people. And we're going to see later that it's actually a, a big burden. Look what it says here in verse 20. It says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, 
eating and drinking and rejoicing. And so Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river, that's the Euphrates River, right, to the land of the Philistines. So that would actually be the west coast, right? As far as the border of Egypt, that's, you guys, south. You guys probably have maps in the back of your book, a Bible. And then they brought tribute and served Solomon for how long? All the days of his life. And so we see they prospered. Um, look at verse 20 again. Eating and drinking and rejoicing. So they're grubbing. You know, they're just stuffing their face. Okay, they're drinking. Okay, and that's not lemonade, just in case you're wondering, okay? They're drinking, they're getting drunk, right? They're eating, they're drinking, and they're just rejoicing. And, and what's that? You know, nothing wrong with smiling, and I hope you guys know that. You got to laugh. You got to have a sense of humor. Try not to laugh too much at other people, okay? But laugh at yourself, you know? And be corny. I think it's good to be corny, to be honest with you. Uh, you want no coarse jesting, but to smile and to laugh is just so awesome. But what we see right here is they're eating, and they're, we're going to see it later, they're eating a lot. They're drinking, they're rejoicing, and that right there, it, it might be an element of blessing, but I, I think kind of like what we see in our society today, a lot of it is about what? Entertainment entertaining entertain me that's kind of where they were it was a nation with a notion to eat drink and be merry and so like I said things are going good but you kind of see just right there you know behind the scenes that there's little things that I don't know about this right later Solomon wrote right in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 15 so I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. Now, isn't that the mentality of a lot of people? And if you think about it, isn't that the focus of our life a lot of times? Not that you, you know, you guys, you know, it's cool to eat, but, you know, we eat to live. We don't live to eat. I mean, I know, you know, God wants us to enjoy food. That's why he gave us taste buds. You know, uh, but I was telling my wife, I said, man, sweetheart, you got to separate the, because I have the bag of chips, and unless she, I told you, you got to start breaking them up into serving sizes, babe, because if not, I'll eat, I'll eat the whole bag, you know? And I come home, and, you know, she's all, I just bought those yesterday, and I'm all, I'm sorry, pray for me, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, we're just, we're eating, we just lose track, and, um, you know, I think that really, you know, a lot of our society is like, you know, you can, you can get a really good conversation with someone, you know, when you start talking about restaurants, huh? Mm -hmm. Hey, they got some good fish tacos over there. Yeah, bro, man, the other day I went over there. And it's so, it's so funny, you get it going, right? And it's like we're always thinking about it. Right now you're probably thinking about it, huh? In and out, right afterwards, man. Now, again, I don't want to get weird or legalistic. If you want to go have a double-double, go for it, man. But, you know... All I'm saying is that there's, there's more to life. Solomon said that's what life is all about. See, and that's where we have to be so careful. Later, he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Same thing, right? Same mentality. You know, one time Jesus told a parable about some guys that were working on this financial disagreement and, 
And the Lord's like, man, you know, do you really want me to delegate to you your finances? He said, who made me arbitrator over you? Now, what he meant by that is you're not even acknowledging the fact that that money's mine. Are you making me the, the master of your money? So anyways, he goes on and he tells a story about how this guy had a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of uh, crops, and he was running out of room in his barn to store them. And so he's like, man, what should I do? I've got all these crops, and, and I don't know what to do. So, you know, what he said is, I have an idea. What I'll do is I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns to store all my crops, right? And, uh, and then the Lord, you know, in Luke chapter 12, this is what the guy said. He says, and after I build bigger barns, and I'm set for life, he says, then I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years, kick back man take your ease eat drink and be merry and i tell you what i would i would have to say that that is the american ambition i would have to say that you know they want you know when they're doing things fairly right i mean when i was young doing drugs i didn't have a plan for my life but when a person eventually says okay i got a plan for my life you know, eventually, I think that ends up becoming their, 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 their ambition. Get enough money so that I can go and, you know, travel the world or whatever. You know, have a good time. Kick back. And, and, and then the Lord goes on to tell him, you're full. Because tonight, you're going to die. And rather than, you know, tearing down those barns and building bigger barns, why didn't you ever have it in your heart to give it away? To help someone? And, and so the, the dream to eat, drink, and be merry, we see it, man, just throughout the scriptures. We see it in the days of Noah. And then we even see later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 32, Paul said, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so... There's a heaven. There's a God that we're going to stand before one day. Don't let it just be about your physical stuff. Eat, drink, and be merry. Let there be a vision for the kingdom. That's what these guys were caught up in. And look at how much they were getting. Man, Look at verse 22. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures. So the fatted oxen were the ones that were in the cage and they just and it gave them, they made them real plump, right? The other ones were out there kind of grazing. Um, and uh, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from Tifsa even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river and he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. From Dan, that's the tip of Israel, way, way north as far as Bathsheba. Again, all the days of Solomon's life. And so, you guys, that's what they got every single day. It's crazy, man. Solomon's provision, Solomon's peace, Solomon's prosperity. 
And I'm not saying you can't have that, but when you do have that, if you ever find yourself in that situation, make sure that you stay close to God and you got to guard yourself against really, you know, just being a selfish person. You have to open your eyes. Who can I give to, right? You know, here we see they prospered, but, you know, we don't really read of anything going on spiritually. You know, some estimates regarding this food, uh, some people say that this amount of food could feed 15 to 36,000 people. And so we know Solomon had a big family. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, right? So there's a thousand uh, girls in his life, um, plus their kids, right? But, you know, the government, uh, obviously the government, somebody is, is they're just, they're just grubbing, right? They are grubbing, right? And who knows, maybe it was because the nation was being blessed that they were able to give so much. But if the nation was able to give so much, then really, um, you got to watch what you, it doesn't give you the right necessarily to indulge. You know, I've talked to some guys in churches and different pastors, and I've heard different studies along the lines of being, even being careful with uh, a big savings account, believe it or not. Um, you know, sometimes the mentality is just save as much as you can because, you know, for us, we got to buy a building, right? And, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, I don't want to put God in a box, but, you know, I'm hearing studies about these amazing works that God does, and you could have the mentality of just saving, 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 not investing into the lives of the people, not investing into the city. Is that... Is that what God wants? You always have to be obedient. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe there were just a lot of, you know, money. It's coming in. Okay, cool. We're going to indulge. You just got to be careful. You got to be really careful with those things. Can't forget the poor. Can't forget the purpose of sharing the gospel with people. And you'd be surprised if God sees your heart. And let's just say, as a church, you want to be a giving church. How long does it take for God to give us $20 million? How long would you say? I mean, is it going to come from men? Is it going to come from me, nickel and diming it? Maybe. Maybe. But I tell you what, God owns the cattle in a thousand hills. Some of you here, maybe you're financially hurting and you're struggling and you're in debt. And maybe, and again, it's because you haven't been giving to the Lord. So you only have to check your heart not always, you know, because God, sometimes He just keeps us on our knees wanting to trust Him. All I know is that these guys were getting a lot. They were indulging, and we have to be careful. The core equaled 220 liters, or about 55 gallons. You guys know what 55 gallons is. That's a big, big jug, right? And so 30 55-gallon drums of flour every single day. Think about that. You know, we have our version of the American dream. Verse 25, look at verse 25. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. From Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So what would I, if I was to tell you what's the American dream, what would you guys say? Nice, nice house. You want to own it, right? You want to own your house. Don't rent. Okay, you want a nice white picket fence, don't you? 
and a Hummer, right? That's right, not just joking. I don't know. But anyways, we got our mentality of our American dream. That was, this was the Jewish, you know, I don't know, Israel Jewish dream. To have that fig tree right there is kind of nice, you know. Um, you've got your vine for your grapes and your, and your dwelling safely, you know. And that was something that they were given under the reign of Solomon. It's kind of a neat picture there. Um, and it also can be, it's, it's a literal thing, but it also can be a symbolic thing. David Guzik said, it's a proverbial expression for a time of peace and prosperity in Israel, indicating safety from both internal and external enemies. And so, you know, we read in verse 26, what Solomon had accumulated, it says uh, 40,000. More than likely, this is 4,000. It's a copyist error. Uh, we read the Second Chronicles 9.25. It gives us 4,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds each man according to his charge. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, you see their prosperity, they're getting blessed, but you also see just underneath it little things that you know aren't right. For example, the Bible says clearly in Deuteronomy 17 that the kings were not supposed to multiply horses to themselves, right? But we see here that Solomon... He didn't take no heed. He just, he got a whole bunch of horses, right? Why, why, why not multiply horses? God doesn't like horses. Of course he likes horses. He made horses. Why wouldn't he want the kingdom to multiply horses? Because then what happens is they start trusting in their cavalry, right? And God didn't want that. But anyway, Solomon did it anyways. It's interesting how these guys, the governors, they would all give... So you have all the different regions, and uh, you know, in January, this one gave, and in February, this one gave, and in March, this one gave. And uh, he, so anyways, you see the organization, you see the structure there, and you see the wisdom of his plan, and even you see the teamwork. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, he gave a whole sermon on that verse regarding the teamwork of tithing, the glory of group giving, why? For the glory of God and the good of His people. And so, you know, it's so cool when people catch the vision and, uh, and the Lord, He does that work. You know, God was so gracious to Solomon. Look at verse 25. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezrahite, and Heman, the Chalcol, and Darda, the son of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. We have 600 of them, which I encourage you to read every day and then pray for wisdom. And his songs were 1,005. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of cockroaches, things, creeping things, of fish. He knew all about that stuff, right? 
And it says right here, And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom, they came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And so we see it's a combination of knowledge. It's, uh, it's this incredible gift of wisdom. I thought verse 29 was kind of interesting. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. This is interesting. Like the sand on the seashore. And so the King James and the New King James, they, they, they stick to the largeness of heart. And, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, we believe in, you know, the King James, right? And if that's the case, then it's just a man with a, with a huge heart. It just, if you take it at face value, he's had a huge heart. And uh, I don't know how that all played out, but sometimes you meet, have you ever met somebody, you're like, man, you know, they got a small heart, they got a big heart, you know, stuff like that. Wow, it's just something about their, I don't know, their way, their mannerism, their, you know, generosity, I don't know. But for, there was a time, there was a time when Solomon was just so right on for the Lord. He was just so right on for the Lord. You know, sometimes you hear people and they become Christians and, uh, you know, you know, they're so on fire for the Lord. They're so on fire for the Lord. And, you know, for whatever reason, there, there comes, I don't know how it comes in. It comes in from different angles. Sometimes it comes from other Christians. Um, but they think, well, that's not going to stay. You know, like you're in your honeymoon period when you first start as a Christian, but eventually it, it goes away. Well, let me say two things. Number one, there, there shouldn't even be a honeymoon period for married couples. It should carry on. It should continue being romantic and, and falling in love with God and in love with each other and growing as husband and wife. You know, that's from the world, and they joke around about it. That's not from God. And neither is it true for a Christian. I mean, man, do you remember? And, and for some of us here, it was this radical, man, the day that we got saved. The day that God set us free. The day that God broke the chains, man. The day that God came into your life. I mean, uh, you know, I would say that the fire should just grow more. And you go forward. Maybe you don't have the feelings the same, but that's not the measure, you know, of, of, of the heart after God. You know, I've learned in life that God gives me a lot of grace. He gives me grace to, to make decisions and to do things that I'm not even aware of. I was reading an interesting proverb the other day, and it's talking about how this guy fell into sexual sin. And it said, the one that God abhors, he's going to end up right there. And I thought to myself, whoa, Lord, you mean to tell me that you sometimes, just because of you, not them, just you, keep them? from doing that sometimes it's just all you yeah god please don't ever you know lift your hand from my life sometimes it's so we're making decisions we're doing things it's just grace you're not even aware of what's going on but then you learn god's word and you get wisdom that's one thing but then there's the battle the strength that you need to obey that word by the power of his holy spirit when you're making decisions 
All I know is that as you go forward in your journey as a Christian, um, it should never be like, well, that'll go away. No way. It should grow. And if you found yourself, you know, faltering, then return to your first love. The Bible says that. Return to your first love, right? And you have your priorities in order, and you love God, and you come back to Him, and He said, I'll never, ever turn you away. Solomon started off so good. We read there in verse 29. Um, the largeness of heart might also mean a wide range of knowledge. Um, one translation puts it that way. The ESV says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. How many of you here are like, you have a high IQ, just out of curiosity, and you're humble? I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a high IQ. I'm just, man. I, I think that when I, when I study, I remember like for the study, and then I forget. It's funny, a lot of things. I mean, I ask God, Lord, plant it in my heart, and I know it's there on my computer. The Holy Spirit can bring it to remembrance. But man, some of you guys are so smart, um, and you know things, huh? And you have this wide range of knowledge, and I admire you know, people like that. Solomon was like that. He could talk about, you know, Peter, he's like that, man. It's just a crazy thing, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And he talks, tells you whatever it is, right? And it's funny, man. I, Solomon was like that. He had all this knowledge. He can talk about all these different things and the insects and stuff like that. You know, but what we need to do is we need to have both, right? We need to have both. It's cool. God gives you knowledge, but you also want to have that wisdom, right? I think that Solomon, you know, messed up because a lot of times we can have the wisdom, the knowledge, and not worship God. Warren Wiersbe said, King David appreciated and enjoyed God's created world and wrote hymns of praise about the Creator and His creation. But Solomon looked upon nature more as an object of study. I mean, you could look at the hummingbird, and I, and I trip out on the hummingbird, and I'm like, man, that thing is so cool. It's like a helicopter, right? It just kind of kicks it as it's going like that. And I'm like, man. And so if you wanted to, you can just go and run to the encyclopedia and find out how fast its heart is beating and what it does and how it eats and how fast its wings are going. And you could just be filled. And then you can go and you can tell everybody all those information. Or you can just say, wow, God, that is so amazing that you made that. See, David worshipped God with the knowledge that he had. Unfortunately, Solomon, it seems, didn't. And there's a huge difference, right? That's the whole difference. Remember, I've told you guys many, four, many times before, Saul had no heart. Saul had no heart. David had a whole heart. David had a whole heart. Solomon had half a heart. And, I, and I, if I remember correctly, maybe a half a heart is worse. So you got to be really careful, right? I mean, Solomon was wise. He wrote all these songs and these proverbs. Again, this is fulfillment of God's promise in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Deuteronomy 28, verse 10. He was wiser than these guys you read in verse 31. You know, kind of like the Einsteins of Israel. He was wiser than all those guys. Ethan is the author of Psalm 89, and Heman, the author of Psalm 88. Um, he was blessed. And I think the large you know, reason was because he was sincere and also because of David, his father. He was, he was really blessed. It's interesting, God blessed Solomon because of David, 
probably more than he blessed David when it comes to physical things. Saul was, was blessed with so much knowledge. He had a divinely gifted intellect and ability to understand. It's interesting. Notice it says right there in verse 33, he spoke about the trees of the cedar of Lebanon, even to the hyssop. Uh, one man said ancient rankings put the cedar tree at the top of the list of plants and hyssop at the lowest of the list. And so he knew everything. I mean, this is so amazing, right? And so his botanical interests were all-inclusive. And so it's impressive. But what does the Bible say about knowledge? Knowledge does what? Puffs up. But love builds up, right? And that, that's where we have to make sure that we understand. And I would even say with Bible knowledge. You can have a lot of Bible knowledge. It doesn't mean that you're right in God's sight. It doesn't mean that you're a truly loving person who's pleasing God. You know, to know something is a lot different than to worship God. And so to that one who knows much, that know-it-all, it's difficult, but I would say to you it's doable to be knowledgeable and at the same time do your best to stay humble. You know, sometimes I think that people think that they are, they are the standard. And, and maybe you've got to open up your eyes a little bit more and say, you know what, God is the standard. And you know what, you've got to be really careful with those things. We begin to, you know, a lot of times uh, not be humble, not be lovable, not be usable to the extent that God wants to use us. And so we were going to do four and five, but you know what, I don't think it's going to happen. Because we have communion tonight, right? And so, you know, in closing, as I look at this right here, I see the way that all these guys were, were heading towards Solomon. Hey, man, tell us, tell us what's going on, Solomon. Give us some information, right? But, but what, did, what did Jesus say regarding that? He spoke about the Queen of the South, how she would rise up one day in judgment with the men of the generation that he lived in and condemn them. Why? Because it says this, that she came from the ends of the earth. Think about that. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said, indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. And who is that? It's just, it's just the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You know, sometimes we'll go to a church. Church alive is worth the drive. And we go, you know, two hours. He's great. He's great. And that's cool, you know. Sometimes you get people that, you know, you enjoy listening to or you like or whatever. But just make sure that, that Jesus is the epicenter of your life. That Jesus is exalted. Because what happens usually is when you begin to put men up on that pedestal, you begin to put you know, that woman up on that pedestal, eventually you're going to see their flaws. And if your eyes are on them, then you're going to struggle. What does the Bible say? Fix our eyes on who? Jesus. And so what do we do? You know, I pray that we would know Solomon... You know, and no man is perfect, but Solomon is a picture of Jesus. 
and under the reign and leadership of Jesus. I tell you what, you want to, you guys remember what Solomon's name means? Does anybody remember where the Hebrew, you know, got Solomon? Do you guys know? Say it in Hebrew. Shalom. Who said that? Joey. See? Peace. I think Shelly said it too. Don't worry, babe. I saw you back there, man. <laughs> Peace. Are you, are you disorganized? Are you discombobulated? Are you find yourself, you have no peace, you know? There's this peace that we have of God, the peace of God. If you're a child of God, He loves you. You're, you belong to Him, so He's responsible for you. Remember that. I pray that that flood, that, that flood of peace would just bless you because He's the real Solomon. He's the real peace, right? But if you don't know the Lord... Um, then you don't have peace with God. There is no peace for the wicked. You need to humble yourself and you need to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. You know, I always tell people, I don't want to give the Christian a doubt about their sin. Because that's, oh, I think about that. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do that. But I don't want to give a non-Christian a false assurance. Because one day you will die and you will stand before God. Are you sure that you know the Lord? Are you sure? Well, I, yeah, I'm sure, man, because I prayed the prayer and I did the altar call, you know, and I have the bumper sticker, right? I even got a tattoo. I don't, just, I don't know. You just, none of those things save you, though. The only thing that really, you know, gives you the assurance is if, is if your life has changed. Have you repented of your sin? And have you received Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? If you haven't, man, do that tonight. Make sure, okay? We're going to have communion now, and I just want to encourage you guys, you know, search your heart, praise the Lord. Jesus is so good. He died for us on that cross. And uh, let's, you know, I, I think... You know, every once in a while you have somebody, anybody struggling, let's all stand. You know, they'll stand. And you get one or two people, everybody's struggling. A lot of us here, we're going through, we're all, God's, God's working on all of us. And so whatever those areas are in your life, identify it. Today I did a study and I found my sin. I was going through my devotions. I found my sin. I said, okay, there it is. And then I wrote down all the scriptures pertaining to it. Now I'm meditating on it. You find out what your sin is. And if you're here today and you say, well, I don't have any. Okay, well, you're pride. You're proudful. Okay, let me tell you what it is right now. And you just give it to the Lord. Lord, help me. Help us tonight. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to study your word, to have communion. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as you just love these people here, Lord, you love them so much. I pray they would know that that, Lord, they belong to you as Christians, so you're responsible for them. Let that peace just bless their life. And I pray, Lord, that as we have communion today, as we remember the cross, Lord, that you would just bless this time as we search our hearts. And, Lord, we see, is there any wicked way in me? And if there is, Lord, that we would just let it go. Stop it that we would repent of our sins. I pray in Jesus' name.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.